0: Hello and welcome to the Creative Tech Podcast, where we discuss how technology can help you to be more creative. This podcast is made by the National Centre for Creativity, enabled by AI, which is a bit of a mouthful, so we call it Seabay for short. It's presented by the director of Seabay, Professor Neil Maiden. Neil, who's in the studio today. Today's podcast guest is a man whose name is synonymous with creative problem solving. In fact, he wrote the book on it. That book is Creative Approaches to Problem Solving, a Framework for Innovation and Change, which was first published in 1994 and is now in its sixth edition. The book is as vital and important today as it was when it was written nearly 30 years ago. What's more, today's guest has published over 200 other books and articles consulted for over 450 organizations in 26 countries, is a member of the American Psychological Association and a consulting editor for the Journal of Creative Behaviour. I am, of course, talking about Scott Isaacson, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Behaviour, Founder and Director of the Creative Problem Solving Group and resident of Buffalo, Upstate New York. Hello, Scott, and welcome.
1: Hi Neil, it's good to be with you. How's
0: your summer going?
1: Very well, very well. Buffalo summers are fantastic.
0: Excellent, excellent. We're glad to hear it. So just wanted to start off by exploring some topical issues you know, and coming back to the pandemic. Um, we've observed certainly here in the UK that uh, the pandemic has accelerated business innovation. Uh, Here, like everywhere, businesses were forced to adopt new ways of doing things. And one study found that UK businesses innovated more in the first three months of the lockdown in 2020 than they had in the previous three years combined, which suggests that businesses only engage their creativity when standing on a burning platform. So do you think there's a fundamental relationship between creativity and innovation powered by existentialism? unless you're in a change or die situation, it very rarely happens?
1: Well, first, let me agree with some of your premises. I mean, um, what I'm experiencing and our group um, of practitioners around the world has experienced over the last 15, 16 months is a huge acceleration of digital transformation. Personally, I I came back from vacation. Within days, I had to, uh, instead of traveling over to Norway to teach my graduate course on creativity, um, I had to redesign the entire course uh, via Zoom, but it's it's affected organizations around the world. Um, it's really underscored the need to have digital facility. And I, I do agree also that the pandemic itself has really uncovered some of the needs, particularly around the creativity space, for helping people within organizations kind of unleash their creativity. What I've seen is our clients that are engaging in some major innovation efforts are outperforming those that are kind of deer in the headlights, kind of stuck with the overwhelming demand for change uh, that the pandemic has provided them. So those that have been very passive and somewhat confused are are having a bit of a hard start. Those that were kind of taking on the challenges and really demonstrated a, a high degree of resilience are in fact making some major moves and they're seeing some actually some very nice short term, uh, gains in terms of market share, uh, uh, revenue and, and so on. So I do see that. I also think it's not just from an exist- existential standpoint. Yes. Uh, certainly the learning platform has always been a little bit of an encourager for folks taking big steps and big leaps, but I think there's some learning around, uh, sustainable resilience that will come from this effort, um, and that's my hope.
0: So you talked about digital being a primary driver for change and, and creativity. Do you see that as, as something that's broad, goes beyond the Zoomification of our world? Do you think it'll be embraced by organizations? And and in a big way, I get a sense that, like you say, there are two sets of organizations, and it's those that are really embracing digital transformation yeah. as, a, as a game changer for the next decade or two decades.
1: It's a huge game changer, Neil, I think. And, and it's not just the, the meetings uh, via Zoom, WebEx, uh, Teams, and so on and so forth. I think the idea of doing digital working and digital collaboration, particularly around creativity, has been underscored. Thankfully, uh, some, there were early starters, and certainly you're aware, you, you were an early starter in this in this field. But I think those that have had an early start have an advantage. They've been able to make the turns more quickly and more deeply in terms of this virtual hybrid working that we're going to be living with at least for the next decade and beyond. And I think that offers both opportunities, but it also offers some challenges around the creativity space.
0: So how do you think it's going to play out over the next five years as we start, as the plates settle into a new pattern of working? how How do you see us facilitating and encouraging creativity in organizations within a more digital world? Do you have a at least an outline, hope, or vision of what that might be like.
1: I tend to be optimistic about that that challenge area, the challenge space. First of all, I think we've already seen proliferation of uh, digitally enabled tools for creative collaboration, which is great, uh, and that has started a while back. Fortunately, I think the facility, the um, expertise around leveraging those tools will be a huge opportunity over the next five to seven years. Tools are tools, you know, and it's really then about how well we use them, there there certainly is a difference. i am I'm kind of an experiential person. And as a professor, spending a whole day with students on creativity, it's not lecture. It's not just information exchange. It's got to be experiential. The social learning kicks in when groups observe other groups simultaneously. And then you can debrief and take advantage of the actual live experience. I think there's a big opportunity space there from a technological standpoint to start to see that. I mean, yeah, of course, do we have breakout groups in Zoom and that's marvelous, but we breakout groups don't observe each other's behavior. And so there's a limitation in a sense right now, there's a little bit of a governor on a lot of the short-term solutions we put in place for creative collaboration. And I think there's a there's a bit, I wouldn't call it magic per se, but there's a the emphasis on learning how to facilitate that process. It takes quite a while. It's an area of expertise, right? By in its own right, it doesn't fight with content and domain. It's really about leveraging the content and domain and thinking about how we get that collaboration to work. So I think there's some opportunity space on the digital side to try to make it more realistic in terms of you know teams don't operate in isolation, and uh, there's there's that whole physical space and uh, and and that with a hybrid organization that is a huge opportunity. To figure out how to make it much more realistic real life
0: you could see it going in in two ways you could see digital technologies trying to create more realistic virtual environments where people can see each other's behavior so there's an attempt to digitally replicate what's happening in different physical spaces but also i wonder whether do you see if there's a role for the the technology to become an intelligent agent in its own right it becomes a facilitator and i'm using that term provocatively here hoping to
1: get you to respond in a sort of equally provoked way but do you see
0: technology could become a facilitator in the
1: process i believe so you know i think i think i mean just a little simple thing we've been working with strategy with an organization and we've had a series of inclusive meetings in the organization and just for example a simplistic thing like let's create a transcript from the, the language we heard well, lovely Now, uh, one of the meetings, which was just an hour and a half, two hours, yielded about 76 pages of transcript, right? Lovely, really good. But time is of the essence, right? It's one of the shortest currencies we have available today. So there's an opportunity for that whole big data, machine learning uh, opportunity space to say, okay, so we've had 76 pages of raw notes. So what? Uh, what were the key themes? you know what are the big takeaways? I mean, we could probably measure passion by simply volume, right? <laughs> if I'm really excited about something, volume goes up. There's all sorts of ways I think that technology can help us reduce the time and the and the energy and effort it takes to glean key insights from things so data analytics, big data machine learning has huge opportunities there. And I think it's already the base, the foundations are pretty well in place for that. So I think that's that's probably not even a five-year thing, Neil. That could be a shorter-term thing to start to, um, to help make that work. You know, we, we have these software programs that help with narrative analysis, but they exist in a completely different space than the kind of thing we've been talking about in terms of interacting and collaborating together. So maybe there's some borrowing and some mixing that can go on to short-circuit short the amount of energy it takes to make that work. But I would see that as one stream of uh, of real big opportunity.
0: Uh, absolutely, uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. That's certainly what we've done in the Seabay Center, where there's an awful lot of work in sense-making from, from narrative. And actually, if you had a, digital transcripts of a virtual meeting, it would be fascinating to uh, to be able to feed that into one of our ideation suite tools that would enable you to explore different themes and ideas that the, the machine could generate. That's, that's a, I'll take that idea and bank it, if you don't mind, Scott. Please do. do. It would be talk great to, to
1: have you about facility. that facility. Absolutely.
0: Um, I mentioned earlier you're based in in Buffalo, which is the home of the Buffalo State College, where Sid Parnes and Ruth Noller developed the Creative Studies Project, from which you earned a master's degree in creative studies, if i not mistaken. So globally, do you think we're doing enough to teach creativity and innovation to our students with or without technologies?
1: No, 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 no way. Actually, Neil, I started studying creativity at Buffalo State in 1970. I was in that famous creative studies project as an experimental student and uh, stuck with it, got my master's degree there, and then ultimately joined the faculty and directed the center for about 15, 16 years. So it it was a huge opportunity to um, learn early on about what was available in the creativity field. By each course in my undergraduate studies, we had to do 13 readings and write a paper and so on and so forth. Ruth and Sid would provide feedback on that. And then the, the Creative Problem Solving Institute was an opportunity to actually meet the people that were writing the articles and writing the books and, and doing cutting edge research uh, on creativity. So I think it provided a unique opportunity to see what was possible and to really stand on the shoulders there of Sid and Ruth to know that, hey, we can do something to unleash creative potential. You know, it can be deliberately developed. And, and you know when I took on the uh, professorship and the directorship of the center, I interviewed deans and some other administrators and the faculties around the college. And back, this was 1980, just to give you a historical perspective. And the theme that I took away, in fact, these were words that were being used to describe our center is that we were a cult on campus, <laughs> right? Because we were dealing with creativity. And um, when I left, fortunately, we were seen as a academic center of excellence and, uh, and so on and so forth. So we managed to make some headway there creativity is still a space where there seems to be a lot of um, mystery and and concern around the concept itself, rather than seeing it as a natural human characteristic that we all have and can learn how to use more of what we have. So I think we're just starting to see the kick in. It used to be tough to talk about creativity. I had to spend a lot of time dealing with defining it and getting a handle on it and so on, selling it, if you will. Um, It's a lot less of an issue today. Having said that, there's a huge opportunity now to make a difference, to take it forward a bit, and to be a lot more deliberate. We were the only center for years in Buffalo, and now, fortunately, there are centers all over the world. So now there's international community of scholars and practitioners collaborating. And yet, I would say that there's, it's still not as, as ingrained as it could be. Um, it's still seen as an add-on, perhaps in some respects, rather than being fully integrated into the disciplines, which probably is where it needs to go. So, it, it, I mean, there are connections to creativity to all disciplines, but having a deliberate stance uh, and, and being aware of the literature and the things that work and, and the kinds of issues that are there, I think we're, we're well beyond the, the first phase, if you will. There's general acceptance about the importance of the concept. It's the, how do we inculcate it? How do we integrate it into our curricula? There's some great programs and and international programs that have taken a foot, but there's so much more that can be done uh, to fully fully reach in and help individuals believe that they have their own creativity and find ways to use it more productively.
0: Yeah, when we when we first launched our Master's in Innovation, Creativity and Leadership, we also had a vision of teaching creativity to all first-year undergraduates in campus in mixed teams, putting engineers and nurses and psychologists together just to boost their creativity at the start of the undergraduate program. Now, that was probably a step too far at the time, um, and how we would have resourced it would have been an issue. But it's the kind of, to me, it sounds like the, still seems like the kind of radical thinking we need to get creativity into mainstream education. Are you familiar with any of these any radical breakthroughs that have been successful anywhere?
1: Well there's there's a tremendous number of programs that that do just that, but they're always seen as like an add-on or an enrichment type of activity. The idea of having a really deliberate program where people actually dive into the literature, dive into the study of creativity and and then make a difference, do something about it, if you will. That's still, I think, a big opportunity space. But things like the Future Problem Solving Program, Odyssey of the Mind, these are well-known global programs that reach into the educational environment. Higher ed is starting to be involved in that. In fact, these, these organizations now open up to private organizations and companies. You know, We're still rolling that rock up the hill, and it's, sometimes it rolls back a bit given some of the <laughs> concerns that are out there with scarce resources and so on. But I think we have made some progress and a lot more needs to be done.
0: Yeah, I think one of the approaches we're developing in Seabay is is if we can put it very simply codify creativity and software, take away the mystery from it. It's a tool, put some inputs, get some outputs, use them. it, It demystifies it and it becomes available to people every day rather than being a a process led by this facilitator who comes from Buffalo or from from London. Okay. Do you think that's a way forward? We Absolutely. I would add one created. other
1: dimension to that, Neil. I think I think that by that that to me is exactly what I'm talking about is the opportunity space. Mm. Broadly available anytime, anywhere, assistance in that regard. You know, we now have a massive amount of knowledge around these tools and how they work and ways to facilitate their usage and so on that could be incorporated mm-hmm. into all these efforts digitally and so on and technologically. Mm-hmm. But I would add something else. I mean, what I've, I think one of my learnings and, and my point of view has shifted a bit because so much of the work on creativity is besi- designed to increase somebody's level of creativity, right? How How much mm-hmm. of this thing called creativity do I have? How creative am I? In my work now, the last 25 years, working inside organizations, you know, from a psychological perspective, these are not random populations. People that go to work inside organizations are selected and retained and so on over time and developed over time. And so it's less about trying to focus on level, expertise, education, experience, and so on. And it's much more now about how am I creative? versus how creative am I? And it's much more about understanding what I would call a deeper diversity. A lot of these breakthroughs come from teams that are cross-functional and cross-level in organizations. There's a level of diversity there in how they problem solve and how they release their creativity. And when they get insight about that, they actually perform better. We actually now have experimental evidence that teams that are exposed to this understanding about how am I creative and learn about themselves and how, how others on their team approach creativity, that when they face real life creative problems, they outperform those who are not aware of those things. So it's not just the tools to release more of the creativity, it's also doing that with an eye toward there's, there's tremendous diversity in how people use their creativity. I think that's a huge opportunity space as well, because we tend to think about creativity only happening in the radical step out, exploratory, innovative, you know, big step kind of thing. And of course, burning platform does play a role in that space. Organizations really love incremental innovation. There's tremendous value there. And so we start thinking about some people really prefer That exploratory, big step, you know, going boldly where no one has gone before type of creativity. But let's also appreciate that there's tremendous value in finding new and better ways to do within paradigm work, within the box. You know, we talk about out of the box a lot and the tools that are designed to help us take us into new spaces. But that balancing act to, okay, we're in the new space now. How do we settle that? How do we develop it? How do we take out the value? Uh, and extend the value there with novelty that's useful. Uh, I think that's a neat uh, additional lens to put on this opportunity space.
0: Now, that's fascinating. You, you're almost talking about everyday creativity for people to, to undertake incremental innovation and, and it happening in diverse ways, recognizing that you can contribute this everyday creativity in, in different ways. That's, that's that's something I think we're, we're trying to hit upon on the center. And it reminds me, actually, there was the the equation that Ruth Noller developed, um, which, is, which states that creativity is a function of personal attitude influenced by knowledge, imagination, and evaluation. Do you have a view where technologies that are emerging, digital technologies, might fit in that? If, if Ruth had been aware of what we can do with AI and collaborative technologies, how she might have rethought about the equation or just reconfirmed it, it was it still holds?
1: Hmm. Well, first up, Ruth was my mentor in the undergraduate and graduate program. And as you know, she was a mathematician. So she, she thought in terms mm. of then diagrams and formula, function formulas and so on. And I love that. Um, in fact, she worked with Grace Hopper on the Mark I computer during World War Two. Mm. And she and Grace wow. are the ones that coined the phrase debugging computers one of the relays had a moth stuck in it. And she and Grace mm-hmm. went behind and kind of took the moth out of the relay. And then in the log <laughs> book, they entered the phrase, we debug the computer today. So she was very well of the cybernetic and the, and the, uh, the computer aspects that were there. And we had conversations about that later after we both retired mm-hmm. and, and kind of speculated a bit about this. First of all, Digital technology, et cetera, it plays within the entire space of the formula. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. So obviously with knowledge, I mean, what does Watson, Watson digests how many millions of pages of text per minute. So obviously being able to pull and then put that in a relational kind of a a database or relational kind of machine learning kind of space, that's an easy one to connect. We've talked a bit about the imagination uh, part of it and, and embracing the diversity of how people prefer to use their imaginations when it comes to everyday or, or spe- specialized big project, big risk type creativity. So it plays a big role there. And we've talked a bit about how creative collaboration can happen in virtual and digital means. But it also, I think it plays a role on evaluation. Mm. And this is again back to thinking about the way we currently deal zoom teams and so on you know the evaluation part is making sense of of what you've created from the base of knowledge taking imagination and finding new and better and improved ways to to use and lever that knowledge so mm-hmm. the but the evaluation part it it can, it tends to introduce some new dynamic so it's not only do we need to think about balance around. The innovative versus adaptive or the exploratory versus developmental. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have to also look into this notion of the balance between the generation of opportunities and alternatives and how to approach evaluation. You know, when we think about evaluation, we, you know, I'm thinking about an art school and, you know, the normal critique that goes on around somebody's work of art, which tends to be pretty tough, kind of bloody mm-hmm. at times, mm-hmm. right? Very Deliberate, going to the jugular, finding all the weaknesses and all of that <laughs> kind of stuff. That doesn't really promote creativity, that kind of evaluation. Mm-hmm. And so taking a new stab at what does it mean to do creative evaluation, you know, keeping mm-hmm. something alive. You know, incubators, for example, were an old way of kind of keeping a mm-hmm. something that wasn't ready for the world that would definitely not pass any tests right at that point. How do you keep it alive? And collaborate around strengthening, supporting, understanding its weaknesses, not ignoring Mm -hmm. the challenges that are there in that novelty space, but how to build Mm -hmm. on that and how to take little side trips. We don't pay as much attention to the evaluation component that's in that formula. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that kind of evaluation in a way that's more balanced? You know, that we see generate, you know, there's a time for generating and then there's a time for evaluating. Well, yeah. And when we think about innovation, that happens very interactively, right? Even when we mm-hmm. think we have it all set and we're starting to produce it, there could be challenges around production, uh, certainly challenges around marketing. It's not like it's creativity is just the generation and then innovation is about the execution. I think they kind of kind of come together often. And yeah. so how do we see the way to kind of get a more integrated evaluation approach i'm not saying when you're generating evaluate because that we know that doesn't work but all right so we're done generating how do we introduce evaluation that's appropriate to keep novelty alive and strengthen and develop it along Mm -hmm. the way it's that another form of balance if you will generate the focus but it's how to keep that alive and how to how to have tools that aren't overly harsh (laughs) <laughs> about new ideas yeah. and, but I think, and kill new ideas. You know, success isn't generating a thousand ideas and then finding ways to kill all of them. You know, <laughs> uh, you want to be able to groom and, and take out and, and uh, keep something alive that, that has some value at the end of the day.
0: Well, I think digital technologies could fulfill a role in closing the gap between generation and evaluation. There's There's a number of pieces of research I've seen recently which are about playback. The technologies enable the human creator to play back ideas at last week's ACM creativity and cognition conference. There was a lovely piece of work whereby a writer who may be writing creative writer could then have his or her words played back in different voices. And this was connected to their, their cup. So they're typing at their keyboard. They pick up their cup. There's a sensor in the source that, that then plays back the words. And the fact that it's the machine playing it back with different voices rather than them takes a third party perspective. And, and even it was, I think it was a master's project in, in, from Paris under Wendy Mackay's supervision. This was fascinating because they found this, just a different voice playing it back had gave them real insights. It depersonalized, it became yep. easier to critique and so on. So I think it's one example where technologies can really help with the evaluation function.
1: Yeah, I mean it, the other you know you think about the crowdsourcing concept and um you you're working along and you reach a barrier or an obstacle and being able to mm-hmm. define that appropriately and get input you know to me it's it's so uh, we know that for example when you're under pressure of external evaluation we don't mm-hmm. think as well we don't problem solve as well but if if you if it's more positive if it if it's developmental it opens up thinking and and effectiveness and problem solving. And I think technology, I mean, we've known for years about brainstorming and technology, right? We all, nominal groups versus real groups. Well, real groups obviously are much more frustrating and more difficult to manage. And there's an obvious difference there. Nominal groups have that value of anonymity where people feel a bit more free. They don't have that social pressure uh, in real face-to-face stuff. So there are some little elements of truth there that we've seen over many years of research that I think could be really well applied on the evaluation front.
0: Sounds like we have our work cut out here within our Seabase Center to try and develop these uh, new technologies. What I want to do now is sort of take this idea of creativity on demand that we have and explore it in a number of questions with you. Our purpose here in the Center is to build technology that supports and inspires people to be They're most creative when problem solving, collaborating and interacting every day. We call it creativity on demand. So I would like to test you, Scott, on your creativity on demand with three questions and looking for reasonably short answers. But the first question is, what is the most important thing you require in order to be creative?
1: most important out of all the things we could identify neil anything biggest, no no be, this is
0: unconstrained thinking
1: here i i think regard you know we can talk about technology digital and so on and so forth but at the end of the day i think the the source of human creativity is the individual and i believe that at that point i think it comes down to We call it creative self-efficacy in the business. And I think it's a belief. Mm -hmm. It's it's a fundamental, it's an emotive belief um, and attitude that says, you know what? This is a a big, hairy, terrible challenge I'm facing. But you know what? I can do this. Um, I have the requisite creativity to handle this. So I think the one thing that the biggest thing I would hold on to is a belief, a belief that I have this thing called creativity and I can use it in life
0: that aligns very much with our point of view, where our technologies are trying to encourage self-belief in people that often don't see their work as, as creative. So f- great answer, full marks for that one.
1: I did okay, um, well, no. second...
0: I passed. Yeah, yeah, you passed, you passed that. You've <laughs> reached the minimum pass mark. The second question is, if you could create any tech or app that could do anything real or imaginary, what would it be? I guess within the frame of creativity and innovation.
1: I would love to be able to have the ability, like what we're doing right now, being able to have multiple groups working real time and being able to work not just within within the group being enabled by technology that way, but being able to work across groups to be able to see what other groups are doing and visit those groups, come in and out. So. A group might be working on one part of a project, you know, and they're working away. And then without even having no, no friction, just be able to move right over and visit the group that's working on the marketing strategy and then mm. move over and uh, be able to join the group that's working on some of the other technical aspects of the project. So cross group, cross fertilization, social learning. Mm. If we could get the social learning into the digital learning space, I, I think that that would be a, a, a huge step forward in enabling people to collaborate creatively through technology.
0: Absolutely, I agree again. And if people didn't understand that issue now, uh, 18 months ago, they certainly do now with the, the new pandemic What are people missing, you know,
1: with this hybrid working with, with people now coming back, you know, in, in the States, we've mm. doing pretty well with vaccines. They're starting to come back. Why are they coming back to work? Why all of a sudden have we beaten records on airline travel for families getting together you know, there's this need we have as human beings to, to be together and to have that wow. social interaction. So, if we could can enhance our technology to allow that, wow, what a move that would be.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: And the third
0: question, the last, is if you could remove one thing from the world in order to make humans more creative, what would that be? What would you bin?
1: In the biggest challenge I see that, you know, it's for me, for my applied work, it's for me, it's it's less about money. You know, there's money in organizations as as a resource. Mm-hmm. Time and attention is the big challenge. If I could remove that scarcity <laughs> to somehow increase the bandwidth so that folks, when they need to, don't find it difficult, don't find it too challenging. To be able to go a little deeper, uh, and have the time and the 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 energy, the 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 cognitive energy. I think I think we're all living in an age where we're a lot on cognitive overload. There's just so much going on, and so many things to do. So many ways to come at people. Somehow, if I could eliminate cognitive overload, I think the world would be a, a much better place <laughs> all the way around. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: So we're looking for a, a future vision of the world which everyone has creative self-belief that no one is cognitively overloaded and anyone can pop into anyone's virtual space to understand and share and collaborate. That's that's the Scott Isaacson vision that, well, let's see how far our Seabase Center can get in delivering that in the next three and a half years.
1: I think there's tremendous opportunity there, Neil. I I really do. I think that's we can build on a lot of things that have been done. A lot of homework and heavy lifting has been done. And now we have a huge opportunity space when it comes to digital and technology.
0: Thank you for answering those questions, Scott. And thank you Did I pass, Neil?
1: Did I pass with the other two questions? Well, I think
0: so. I'll have to pass it on to my editor, who is the the, the, (laughs) the, the, the final marker of these things. She's the the strict one. So in terms of uh, what you're up to next and what's happening with CPS, um, have you got any plans for, for your own activities and the future of CPS?
1: Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're taking a look. We've done some nice scanning of some of the there's – there's a Vista out there. There are a lot of um, individual creativity tools that are out there that are in the space, in digital space, and a lot of them are free on the introductory side and you can commercially you know link up with them and so on. But it's like everything else, I think tools are great. Having a framework to be able to know when and why and how to use the tool is where I think that the, the next big opportunity is. I think we're finally to the point where okay. the tools are much more widely diffused than they were before. It's really gonna be mm-hmm. much more about helping people see and make decisions about when do I need to use that tool? What's the best mm-hmm. or what's the most efficient way To apply the tool how do i get most value from it tools are tools right they're they're enablers Mm. so that next level is i call it the facilitation opportunity how do we help people get a handle on the some of the basic dynamic i call it the physics of facilitation right Mm. how to lever the use of the group and how to introduce the tools how to get value from them the basic skills of how where and what we try and teach our,
0: our students are there any more books in the pipeline or at least new editions? Yes. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm working a lot right now with uh, articles and publishing some studies. We've done some interesting research on style. We're also doing some research on work environment and climate and culture mm-hmm. and pulling, pulling the pieces together. My research question is what works? That's the what methods and tools work. How do we know they work? Mm-hmm. We do impact studies and follow up to see what kind of innovative value was derived from the tools and the methods. But it's also for whom, which is that whole style piece, individual differences and so on, for whom. So what works for whom, and also under what circumstances. I mean, we know that climate plays a big role and the workplace itself plays a key role. So we're seeing huge changes there, right? As we move toward hybrid working and virtual working, it used to be, you know, you can see patterns of behavior quite regularly when you're in a common space. You know, we, we think we have a handle on the kind of climate that supports creativity. That's been based pretty much on everyone sharing a similar physical space. What's it like in the virtual world? What do we need to have there from a, a climate, culture, work environment perspective? So that's, that's more of the research studies that I'm playing with. And then, yeah, there's, there's a book or two coming up in terms of um, the whole managing of creativity. The, I think the facilitation aspect. And now that we all have the tools out there, and, and they're they're available freely everywhere, uh, anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. It, I think the next layer is let's talk about you know best practices around when we use those tools, how we use them, uh, that kind of thing. So that's probably in the in the hopper. If our
0: listeners are keen to find out about this, is there the best place to go to to find this out? Is it the website at www.c... c psb.com or is there another place that that's
1: they probably be the in? best place where where it's out there. We have other websites. We started going digital, thankfully, um, about a decade ago, so we were able <laughs> to kind of move into this space pretty quickly. But that's the best general spot, I think, Neil, to to stay up to date.
0: Fantastic, Scott. Well, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for listening to this Creative Tech Podcast, a regular series of conversations to shed light on issues of creativity and how technology can enable more effective ways for humans to be creative. Please take time to like the podcast and leave a review. It really does make a difference. And you can also follow us on Twitter at cbay or on LinkedIn. Uh, Creativity Enabled by AI. Thank you again, and everyone have a lovely evening. Pleasure. Thank you.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.